Hello, and welcome to Harrow in Voices, a celebration of green spaces from Stanmore Common to Harrow on the Hill. Please feel free to enjoy this audio experience on a walk in your favourite green space, or in the comfort of your own home. If you'd like to access the audio with captions or BSL interpretation, please visit our website, www.packpacktheatre.co.uk. We hope you enjoy. Okay. Okay. So my name's uh, Rajeshri Sheth. Um, I work as an activities coordinator for a care home. Um, I was born in Africa, but I came over from Africa about 35 years, and I've literally lived in Harrow since then. I've schooled in Harrow. I got married in Harrow, had my children in Harrow. So virtually everything about me fits in with Harrow. So I'm a Harrow girl, basically. Hi, my name's Neelam Rayad, and uh, I've lived in North Harrow and in the Rainers Lane area for nearly 40 years now, um, one house and another. I'm Jeff Bard. I'm in my mid-80s. I've lived in Stanmore since 1967 or 8. Um, I've walked every highway and byway that's around here because walking has always been my hobby. My wife is still with me and we still walk every single day and we know the area very well. I'm Marilyn Raymond and very involved with the Stanmore Society, a local, well, we call it Preservation Society, but we keep an eye on everything that's going on, uh, planning, uh, the Green Belt, which we are so lucky. We have the largest area of Green Belt in London within Harrow. And to us, particularly now because of COVID, uh, it is such a release for people to be able to go to these open spaces as I find I do. Um, so my name is Dimpi, um, Dimpi Hirani. I um, lived in, I've been lived in Harris since I was 12. I've always been uh, someone who likes to go walking, really. And my favourite park is Kenton Recreational Park because I feel like it's got a, it's very spacious. It's got lots of trees. My name is Tony Kay. I've uh, been retired since 2006 and I enjoy walking in open spaces. And that's probably because of my childhood. I grew up in Chingford, which was right on the edge of Epping Forest. And I had that on my doorstep. And I used to either walk through there or cycle up there. And now living in the Harrow area, it's wonderful that we're right again on the fringes of London. So within walking distance from my house, I can get out to open spaces. What I really love is the juxtapose of this lots of expanse of green and then that linear train in the distance. And I just, I don't know why, I just find something magical about that. It's almost like, um, you know, you, you know, trains are kind of more historical than automobiles and stuff. So it kind of makes me feel like I'm in the countryside with just this train line as a, as a, as a mark of um, human civilization. My name is Mary and I live in North Harrow. I've lived here for about 30 years. 
in two periods from late 1970s uh, when we first bought the house uh, and my first child was born and then we went to the United States for 10 years but I came back back to the house and the community where I was really happy. I'd like to tell you the story of the Rainbow Garden in Yedding Walk and the community who helped create it. I've always been a walker and enjoyed many years of wonderful miles in company with the Ramblers. When my children were young, we would go to holiday cottages in the Peak District, in Wales, in Yorkshire Dales or the Lake District and walk every day, sometimes taking our lunch and occasionally ending up in a nice place for tea and cake. I remember my younger daughter, Christine, in the teenage years, telling me that she didn't mind the walking, she was willing to put up with that, as long as I could do something about the car paths all over the countryside. So when the first lockdown occurred in late February last year, turning to walking was a no-brainer, both for the exercise and particularly the enjoyment of being outdoors. During that time, I visited most of Harrow Park, but there is one that remains my favourite. My local park in North Harrow is called Yedding Walk, although we always called it Streamside. It traces a section of the River Pin, and my daughters played there as children, and now my grandchildren. It's a narrow, wild, informal park with many large trees. It's not a big space, it has no adult gym equipment or children's playground, but it's the ideal 20 minutes walk. There's an air of serenity, and in the late evening, when the shadows lengthen, of seclusion and almost mystery. The footpath provides glimpses of the stream as you walk along under the tree, and then a circle of grass where you can sit and often hear the woodpecker. Further down is the stone bridge. You can cross over to the other side of the stream, and the laurel walk is shady and cool in summer, and misty and secretive in winter. At the far end of the park is a small rose bush, right at the entrance, a small rose garden. It was in sore need of a little love last March, and with staff at Harrow Park furloughed, seemed unlikely to get any. That's one thing I could do, I thought. I like pruning roses. So I brought down my secretaires and got busy, and then weeded the bed. It looked a lot better and welcoming. But at the other side of the park, at the Northumberland Road entrance, the park was a dismal sight. There was a large flower bed which had become completely overgrown with weeds and bramble and was serving as a dump your litter receptacle. For anyone entering the park, it was not inviting. So flushed with new enthusiasm, I picked up the litter and started to pull up the weeds. You know, I love living here. I can't imagine myself living anywhere else. Um, it's an amazing place. You have everything virtually stone's throw. In particular, I use um, this centenary park a lot. It's just virtually two, three minutes away from where I live. 
do all my walking there. Uh, my friend also has a dog, so sometimes we we take her dog for a walk there. So it's uh, it's literally kind of like you know my 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 space. It's it's kind of in a circular sort of shape, so you can walk all around. Um, literally, uh, if I walk all around the park, it takes me about ten minutes. So I do five rounds. It takes me about fifteen minutes to my experience I've, I've found people uh to be very friendly so i walk i've i've like literally make people you know met people we smiled initially at each other and then like you get talking and what you're doing i know somebody who's who's actually running for a marathon who's running for a marathon next year just like myself so instantly there's something in common well, having lived in Stanmore for 50-odd years and walked and enjoyed uh, the open spaces, our green belt, I feel very privileged to be able to talk about it. The largest and most beautiful, I feel, is the Stanmore Common, because whereas most of the other sites give you a view to the south, or looking across the London Basin to the North Downs, which you can see from Wood Lane and uh, Bentley Priory. This gives you views to the north. And then as you come south to the edge through where the streams have cut through, you have lovely clay beds where, in fact, I've, if I could show you, I've dug up clay and we and fired it and made little dishes with the children that I've taught and worked with locally. Mm -hmm. I feel it's such a privilege that it is protected and supported. We did worry that at one time they would develop the Marconi site that was set up during the war and take away certain parts of it, but they haven't done that. And there is so much there to see lovely mature woodland on the south and the west, which actually was felled very much during the Second World War, but has been continuously wooded since the 1600s. Uh, well, I've decided after my project of trying to walk all the green spaces in Harrow, which are listed on the back of the council boards that you find at the opening of most of the parks, which have uh, notes about their history, when they were opened, what they were reclaimed from. Uh, very interesting. A lot of them are um, seem to have originally been sewage farms or storage spaces for various organisations. Um, some were agricultural land. And um, I found, as far as I can judge, all the spaces that are listed on their list. Um, some of them don't seem to be around anymore. But of all the ones that I've visited, um, that are easy to walk around, particularly in the winter, because uh, then you have the problem of muddy paths, um, is Pinner Village Garden. Um, there are amenities there, so you see lots of people around with their children or jogging, lots of dogs as well, of course. Uh, there's an outdoor gym and a children's playground. There's also a thriving band of volunteers 
who are regenerating the park wonderfully. They're doing amazing work, hacking down all the brambles and planting uh, suitable uh, plants, um, making flower beds or just tidying up the edges. Stanmore itself were built on a ridge out of London. Um, the, London is at about 60 feet above sea level. If you come up to the Welsh Harp, it's up to 100 feet up at sea level. And then it starts going right up. And just outside my door, the height is 580 feet. It's a long, steep hill. And this was why it's always been used as a fortification area. But going back to Roman times, you'll find that even before then, Sulonike was the city, the town, exactly here, halfway between London and St Albans. There were two main roads coming out of London going up. There was Watling Street that everyone's heard of. There was straight up what is now the A5128 over Broccoli Hill. And there's the other road which comes up past the Alpine, past um, Abercorn Arms. Uh, if you go to Stanmore, the traffic lights at Stanmore, and then go up the hill, that's the road. This was the ancient road, the other road that was taken out of London. The coaches, when they started running in the early part of the 1800s, um, they would come up the main road. They'd change, the first change of horses was at the Welsh Harp. The second change of horses was at the Abercorn Arms. The third change, if there was one, would be somewhere near Watford going to St Albans. Um, the hill was very, very steep, and it really took it out of the horses. This, of course, was woodland. And this is why the highwaymen used this area. And it was because the coaches, having got there, the horses were getting tired. They dragged themselves up the hill and they were just game for any old highwayman with a gun just to stop them and rob people. A walk that I take quite uh, regularly and I enjoy it in any season, really, um, is the Celandine route which I take from Pinner. I believe it's a route that goes for about 12 miles right through to Uxbridge. It can be, in the summer, very glorious for taking dogs, children. I tend to do lone walking. I use it either as thinking time or as a time to listen to music or BBC sounds or something else like that. A few days ago, and this is in the winter, I uh, took a rather muddy path. I, I was never allowed to walk in wellies or anything. We always had to be very dressed up when I was young. It didn't matter whether you went to the beach or whether you went for a walk. And so I never had a pair of Wellingtons. So I rather enjoyed splodging around and squidging and actually fell once, which was fun as well, <laughs> because I, uh, when I got back, I was very muddy, but it had dried out and I got into the car from where I started my walk. When you've walked through the very wooded area, then you come to a, a little bridge, a footbridge. And again, depending on how much rain and so on there's been, you'll see the stream run very fast or hardly moving at all. Get over the stream and uh, come to the walled garden of Eastcote House. 
and it's somewhere that I haven't discovered, although I've lived in this area for a very long time. I've not been walking all that time because I was involved in a very hectic job. Um, and so I'm disappointed that this discovery has been so late in my life. But uh, if you're younger than that, you've got much more time to enjoy it, hopefully. As I weeded, I turned over the ground with a large fork. But the soil is heavy clay, and the brambles were fierce. Whose daft idea was this? I asked myself as I sweated and struggled. Jolly good, keep going, shouted the runners as they zipped past. Great. One couple, having inspected my old green gardening jersey, my jeans with the holes in the knees, hair awry and mud on my face, assumed I was the park contractor and demanded when I was going to do something about the broken bin and the bench. Some mothers anxiously gathered their children around them and hurried past me. Poor old dear, they were obviously thinking. She's obviously a bit bonkers, or perhaps doing community service in lieu of jail time. But finally, after a couple of weeks, the bed was clear and dug over. But it looked pretty forlorn, so I planted a few things from my own garden. Some orange Procosmia, everybody has too much of that. Some Calendula, a couple of Persicaria, Red Dragon, and scattered the seeds from spent forget-me-nots. My neighbour Mike gave me some bulbs. Blue flowers, he said vaguely, but didn't know what they were. They had to be either hyacinths or bluebells, depending on the size. Still, an awful lot of bare earth remained. On a whim, I made a sign which said that this was our rainbow garden of hope and invited the park users to bring me a spare plant from their garden, leaving it under the conifer at the side of the bed, and I'd plant it for them. I specified that donated plants would have to be tough, able to withstand the heavy soil and the lack of water, and definitely not bedding plants. This was not a formal park, with pansies lined up like soldiers. A few days later, I was walking past, and to my surprise and delight, there were a handful of plants waiting under the pine tree. Some bulbs, a lovely pulmonaria, and several lilies. I planted them and stuck up a list for the plants donated. Over the next few weeks, and then months, the plants kept on coming. To go within the walled garden, you will find the most wonderful flowers and herbs, etc. Cooking herbs, medicinal herbs, all sorts of different types of herbs. And the walled garden is really very glorious and visited at different times of year. If you're not sure when to cut back your bushes and so on, perhaps go back and uh, take a look at this. It's very educational. Um, separately, there's a wisteria arch, which I just love. When you see it, I don't know when it's in full bloom, but um, I remember seeing it a couple of times. And I've never seen one more glorious than that because it's, it's allowed to 
just grow to its full glory. I think usually in our gardens, we have to cut it back or train it to where we're limited to, but it really is very glorious. Very lovely for wedding photographs or romantic photographs, if that's what you need. Um, but um, yeah, a very beautiful area, lots and lots of walks. And I think if you just want to do a walk, a brisk walk, I think the whole walk can take you about half an hour. If uh, again, within the walled garden, if you've got all the time you want to have there, and if it's a nice day, you can sit on any aspect in the sun, in the shade, wherever, and uh, just enjoy it. Get lost in your thoughts. On the left-hand side in Warren Lane, there is a car park, especially there for many people to start their walks. And there are maps there delineating the routes. There are two trails, a long trail. You couldn't walk it in about three quarters of an hour. And a shorter trail that cuts through the through and then links up with the long trail and they both take the same route back to the car park and if you have a good mobile phone all the paths as you'll see are marked out and you can hold your mobile phone up to the qr codes and log in by showing it on your camera and then you will automatically be told what route you're on and what is happening at that particular site. Uh, particularly the walk that I like doing is probably because I don't need to get in the car to get there and that's the walk up from my house to Summer House Lake and that's Bentley Priory Nature Reserve because you've got the deer park there, you've got the lake there and it's only recently that I discovered why it was called Summer House Lake. It was Queen Adelaide, who was the wife of King William IV, who was the monarch before Queen Victoria, and she spent her last days of her life at Bentley Priory, and she actually had on the side of the lake a summer house, and that's why it's called Summer House Lake. And I didn't know that, and I've been going there for a number of years, originally with my daughter when she was young, and then subsequently since I've retired walking, and it's a you know, fab fabulous place. And what I really like is the way the face of it changes as the seasons change. It's about from my house, just over a three mile round trip, which is a nice little bit of exercise, which is good for me because I'm diabetic. And uh, when you're up there, all the worries of COVID, politics, everything goes away. You look around, you see birds in the trees, you see wildfowl on the water. They don't know anything about COVID or, or politics. And you think, you know what, the world is all right for them. So why shouldn't it be all right for me? You, it just makes all the worries dissolve and disappear. And talking of lakes, just behind where all these shops are, in at the bottom of the hill in Stanmore, the water ran right down there. And that was another lake that supplied water for local people. I'm thinking of this because at the top of the road, there was a big fountain donated for people to have fresh water because the water wasn't actually terribly pure then. The fountain itself was taken down quite recently, I should think in the last 30, 40 years. And it now stands outside the church at the bottom of the hill, uh, St. P. 
Peter's Church, which is there to this day, plus the ruined church in the garden of it. It was the last church that Queen Adelaide, is the last thing that Queen Adelaide did before she died. Queen Adelaide lived at um, Bentley Priory. When the king died and Queen Victoria took over, she lived there. Um, incidentally talking, of course, Summer House Lake was built for her so that she could go out in a boat and fish or just look at the water. And Walter Scott was there, lived in the Bentley Priory, and he wrote Endymion while he was sitting beside the lake. I'm just name dropping at the moment. Nelson had liaisons with Mrs. Hamilton at Brentley Priory at about the same time. And if you go into the grounds of that church, just behind where the fountain now is placed, and W.S. Gilbert, of course, Gilbert and Sullivan, is buried there. Um, you'll see Tate and his wife, Tate and Lyle, Handel, musician, who of course you know, um, in uh, Whitchurch Lane, the church there was the church of um, the second Lord of Shandos, who wanted to build the house that is now the school for North London Collegiate. He, he, again, was very healthy, wealthy. I mentioned it the other day that he was the one who built Belmont on top. He was, and he wanted that place to actually be as big as Versailles. But his son managed to gamble the money away, so they didn't have the money. And all that's left is just one wing. That is the school of what he originally built. So um, we've got Shandos, and his uh, private musician was Handel. You got him, and if you go into the church there, there is still the organ that Handel used, and if you ask the, them nicely, you can touch it. And I have. You can run your fingers over the keys. It's a wonderful feeling to think you touch something that Handel, who wrote the Messiah. You know, oh, gosh, it's fantastic. Um, one of my... Exp I, 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 this was when I was actually quite young, probably as a teenager, kind of sort of trying to escape the the kind of claustrophobic feeling of being at home. And I remember going to the Kenton Recreational Park and just, it was a hot day and just sitting under a tree. And I, I can't, it, there was a timeless experience about it. And there was moments where it felt like it was just me in the park where there were nobody else, you know, it wasn't, and this is quite a long, long time ago when there was less humans in, you know, certain geographical area. Um, and I can remember having this real transcendental experience with this tree. I just felt this sense of unity with myself and the tree, like there was no um, separation. Um, and and I, I will never forget that. It's such a, it's an experience and a memory that um, is here in the soul. And the only way I can describe it is that we became one and everything else, all the issues that I was going through, the worries in my head, they became, they dissolved. They weren't solved, but they didn't become important. They weren't important anymore. Um, and again, you know, I was talking about my shamanic um, roots. You know, I think that as we become adults, human adults, we become close, closed in to what we allow 
into our um I, I would call it erotic field and i don't mean that in a sexual way but i mean that in a connected way you know where we where we allow our hearts to open up too and it kind of almost gets limited due to socialization to certain specific people or to certain specific genders you know um certain specific classes and ages and um i guess my shamanic um uh practice is about opening that up you know opening our connection and you can actually have a love affair with life if everything is a part of life then you know you can you can you can have a sense of connection and pleasure in any moment i got up every morning anxious to get to the park to see what was there it was so exciting just like christmas every day the garden gradually began to fill up with all varieties of plants and lavender two fuchsia bushes looking very limp on arrival but they recovered a large pink hollyhock rosemary a curry plant with curly silver foliage two quince bushes and several packets of irises and gladioli then some dainty succulents arrived together with a bag of much needed grit somebody contributed a small roost tree One family planted a pumpkin and two courgette plants. Chocolate and pineapple mint plants turned up and proceeded to spread enthusiastically. Geranium rosanne arrived, Vietnamese coriander, and a particularly lovely hypericum in yellow bloom. The garden was taking off. As I planted and weeded the bed, people started stopping to chat. tell me about their own garden about their family and how they were coping during lockdown the children stopped whipping past to ask why are you digging lady and some could be persuaded to taste the leaf of the chocolate mint the dog walkers were regular visitors one elderly gentleman commented i come here every day i like to spot what's new that alone was a reason to keep going but then we struck a problem it was hot and dry the stream reduced to just to trickle and too steep to climb into for water i started pulling daily trolleys from my house piled high with milk bottles filled with water which made me look more like a vagrant than ever but it wasn't enough plants were looking limp the whole project was in death jeopardy he was a local scout who came to the rescue the scout hut was just across the road and there was an outside tap you can take some water they offered and so the rainbow garden survived oh i hadn't walked for well most of my young life i was involved in studying or uh, in working and um i think it was at a time when i was really overworking that i realized i wasn't getting any exercise other than moving from one place to another at work which was mostly a desk job 
and I decided to just make a point of going out and walking. And I really felt better for it, felt more energized after the walk. I'd get home. And if I found myself straight home, changed and out, that worked. If I sat down for five minutes, well, that was really the rest of the evening sat down. So I, I found I recognized this weakness in myself and uh, started walking. And then I found it a great comfort when I had uh, difficult times. So first of all, I pushed myself into doing it for my own health. Then um, some difficult times I came across and I went walking and there were slow walks, probably just to think through things that were going on and gave me quiet. And then when I was happier, thankfully, I um, would listen to happy sounds. And I, at that stage, I was actually training people about taking out me time for themselves. I was doing personal development courses, so soft skills. And uh, I'd been training this long enough, and it was time I really listened to myself instead of making others speak or listen to me. And um, I really found that listening to music, Prince music mostly, it's not easy to walk in a straight line to a rhythm to Prince music. You're almost having to dance. And I remember some of the people attending my training courses saying, oh, I saw you walking. Well, not walking. I saw you dancing to Prince as you were walking along such and such road. Um, that was embarrassing, but at least I told them. So they knew what I was doing and didn't rush to get the police to take me away somewhere else. No, I have a friend that I'm in a bubble with and um, we have a lot of conversations about the trees and identify them and go home and try and research and look them up and see what uh, what species they are. And just occasionally uh, we've had conversations, socially distanced, of course, um, with other walkers in the park saying, oh, look, have you seen this tree? Look at all the mistletoe. Or did you realise this is an oak, although it doesn't even look like one? So it, it can make for interaction with other people about it. Well, basically, um, I'm uh, an activities coordinator at a care home. As from yesterday, our care home, well, care home visits were shut. So it's it's another sort of, um, you know, it's not really great for the residents because they're not able to see their loved ones. So we were trying to sort of, me and my team, we're trying to um, etch, etch plans of how we can still keep our, our residents connected with their loved ones throughout the coming weeks. Um, and we're trying to sort of, do as many different activities with them to keep them occupied and, you know, keep their uh, mental he uh, health, well-being. And so it's, it's been, it's been a, a really, um, uh, you know, it's really been tough and challenging for all. Um, but the elderly don't really grasp what, what's going on. Um, they can't understand why their loved ones or their relatives can't, can't come and see them. So we're trying to sort of do the best we can with the situation. I, I kind of thought outside the box and I thought there's a spare room. I turned it into a sensory room and um, I ordered some lights. So we are stimulating them with lights, sound, music therapy, which is uh, 
it's God sent. I am so amazed and I'm so privileged that the care home managers sort of supported me in, you know, putting all this together. So that has been amazing for their mental health at the moment. But when all this is over, I really do want to sort of take them out there. I'd like to, even if we have to wheel a couple of them in their wheelchairs, it'd be amazing to take them out to some, you know, like Copeland Street, even Kew Gardens or somewhere where there's lush greenery, you know, because I think, um, you know, the nature and the green, the greenness, that is so important to our health and especially to the elderly who love, love to have a stroll down the park or, you know, um, sort of just be in open space where there's ample space, they can breathe in fresh air, uh, surrounded by greenery and, you know, just trees and everything. I think it's just uh, stimulates them uh, emotionally and mentally. Well, when we first went into lockdown, um, I insisted on going for a walk every single day uh, just to get out of the house because otherwise I felt like a prisoner. And to start with, I was just walking around the streets and looking at people's gardens and watching how they were developing their gardens or what plants and shrubs there were in them. Um, and then that got rather tedious because I'd been around the same streets many, many times. So then I started exploring the parks. And then uh, my husband died earlier this last year. And so then I made a bubble with uh, a neighbour up the road and um, we had a project of going out for walks together and uh, th that has proved tremendously supportive uh, and yes going out and getting fresh air and seeing different aspects not just the the indoor of you know the four walls of my home um, much as I love it uh, it is it tremendously important to be able to get out. Within the walled garden, I have used uh, time there because it is a quiet space to sit and talk about uh, the loss of my husband quite recently. Um, and I can do that even if I've been in a good mood and in a dancey mood on the walk up there. But when I sit there and I look around the plants and figure out, they've got named plants there. So you don't just look at them and say, oh, I wonder what that's called. Well, some of them you do, but most often they have got lots of names there. And I look at a plant and I think, well, like the wisteria, we have wisteria in our garden. Um, I'll, uh, I'll remember my husband doing funny, arrangements trying to make it to grow in one area or in one direction or another invariably getting it wrong and um, and then I'll sit on a bench read the uh, markings on those and then sit and maybe just smile at myself at um, what some of the flowers remind me of as regards our time together or um, as I say ideas for what I could add to my cooking or well, my cooking always needs some attention, um, or happy times we've had together. The family who lived across the road from the park entrance took pity on me sweating away in the garden and bought me cold drinks. 
They opened their windows wide so I could hear their music. And Ludovico Einardi wafted across the road and into the garden. One family with two catty little girls were regularly visiting with their dad. We used to call you the crazy lady who digs in the park, the younger one confided. But now we call you the flower lady. That'll do. I'll take that. The pumpkin flourished and became a local talking point. It took over most of the adjacent bed, and when it ran out of space, started climbing up the conifer at the side of the stream. By late October, there were two good-sized pumpkins 30 feet up the tree. We were growing the world's largest, tallest pumpkin. One fell into the stream, but the other, called Isaac's pumpkin after the lad who planted it, was cut down and carved into an intricate face for Halloween and positioned at the top of the tree stump in the garden. Unfortunately, it took a suicide dive off the stump in a gust of wind and had to endure brain surgery with flour and water paste to put it together again, a bit like Humpty Dumpty. We had formed a friends group in September to look after the park in partnership with Harrow Parks. And on Halloween morning, the committee, well, at least the women, dressed up as witches, hid in the rainbow garden, and frightened the bejeebas out of the local children. After a while, it started to rain, so we had no more candy customers. So the witches ate up the sweets and went home. But next year, the show would be bigger better and spookier. The rainbow garden is now asleep as the winter edges pass. Plants sag and droop in the rain. The forget-me-nots have gone on a rampage, but that's okay. We're keeping down the wind. But underneath the ground, the bulbs are stirring. There are new shoots on the plants. The foxgloves are fattening up. Last week, we were given a donation of 400 bulbs by one of the big bulb importers. Come spring, the Rainbow Garden will have a new lease of life. It's now a feature of Yeni Walk. It will survive and evolve. The walls are a big threat to the Wood Lane. When the boxer, I've forgotten his name, sold the land off on the top where there was a Wood Lane farm, it was muted from the council. First of all, they tried to sell it off to be a golf course. Then they suggested that it could be a crematorium up there. This was felt totally inappropriate because on the north side of Wood Lane, you have the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital, where I taught for 35 years. My husband was very involved in uh, on the board of RNOH, and we managed to scotch the idea of uh, there being a crematorium there. And then the council realized what they were doing of course they have they oversee 
um, the country park down below. And then they, they agreed that they would sell off a small part of the area for about 10 very expensive, they were three and a half million pound houses, and then return most of the, the farm area, which became the Wood Lane, Wood Lane site, to the council, to the, to the, and keep it as Greenbelt. So, yes, we're very relieved that it has been saved and is protected. There were so many different things. The suggestion of a hotel was another one. And that's been a wonderful thing about COVID, in a sense, is that my wife and I have enjoyed the green space of our garden far more than we have ever done in all the years that we've lived in the house. Uh, we would watch for the birds, particularly the ringneck parakeets, where we've had two different types of woodpeckers. And in the summer, before we had the major lockdown, friends would come round, we'd sit in a table in the garden, socially distanced, we'd watch the, the sun go down, then we'd look up, we'd see the stars come out then we would see if we could see any bats going across you know so what whilst covid is obviously is terrible it has allowed us to uh enjoy some behaviors that we might not really have thought about doing before as as an asian british asian family there wasn't that many at the time and that's completely changed that it's more multicultural um it's big, big, I mean, this is not just Harrow, this is Brent, you know, all the, lots of London and boroughs. Um, there's just more buildings, of course, higher buildings, so um, and more people to, to a particular land. Um, so there's more queues. Green spaces, I feel like they are, they're more cultivated, less, uh, more managed, which I don't know whether it's a good thing, you know, but it's more managed because... Um, humans are using them more. And so we notice things, don't we? You know, I notice one thing which saddened me in a sense that every tree has a kind of silver number attached. And I thought, since when has this happened? I never, you know, we've tagged our trees. We've given numbers to our trees. And I thought, is that really necessary? And, you know, do we really need this over-management of um, trees? Can't they just exist without us, us um, knowing about them? You know? <laughs> Um, I noticed that quite a lot of street trees, I can remember I was walking with my dog down the street and there was um, two gentlemen um, chopping this tree down um, on the street, you know, um, and I said, how comes, you know, why are you chopping this tree down just out of curiosity? And he said, oh, because of um, health and safety, that it might fall, you know, the way that it's maybe its health wasn't so good and because it's near a, a house, they thought that, you know, due to health and safety and insurance purposes, they'd need to chop this tree down. And I thought, well, you know, this is really kind of like on a just-in-case basis, really, which saddened me as well. I've had a very busy, too hectic working life um, right until I retired. Uh, well, until I decided to not work in a hectic way and did temping work instead. I used to train people in personal development um, soft skills in a pharmaceutical company. Very much enjoyed the job. Um, 
my husband and I had decided that we weren't having children and I felt the need to throw myself into my work more than perhaps I would have done had I had children. Then my husband was unwell and uh, I thought the thought of him going back to work was what was keeping him from getting better. He didn't like the person he was working for, but he loved his job. So I say I retired him early saying, well, we don't have children. What are we trying to save up money for? Let's just live a life now. So he retired at about 55 and I did temp work. So anyway, I uh, when I thought of retiring and I thought I'm going to fill my time. So I just decided to take some time off. During that time off, I um, actually got cancer. And so I decided that was the deciding point for me to not go back to work. And um, uh, seven years later, I'm still sort of fighting that cancer to some extent. But I started walking um, when my husband retired and uh, it was to give me me time. I was always training people about the necessity of having time for yourself, especially women, because we tend to be always doing for somebody else um, and always be thinking about husband, children, work, these things to make sure everything ran smoothly. And now my push in those courses was for women to take time for themselves. And so I thought I should listen to myself sometimes. So I did. And I went out on these walks. So they had these NHS talks, or walks. I don't know if they still do them, but they typically started from a tube station and took me on routes that I didn't know before. Um, I have to say, I stopped those walking I think I did it for about three years and then went off with some of the friends I made there and that was one of the benefits of knowing other people locally because I was working such long hours I never got got to know anyone in the area and uh, when I joined the U3A some years ago I also went on some of their very long weekend walks several hours at a time um, but when I was walking on my own I would put on music like a lot of you, but I wanted brisk music to keep me on a good walking pace. And it also took me away from all the things, the humdrum things you think about, and really totally took me away from that. So the U3A was very good for that. So NHS and U3A helped me a lot in those things. Well, those of us who can, I think, have been counting our blessings considerably you know we've got roofs over our head we've got food in the cupboard and uh, we're warm and mostly we're safe uh, so we're very grateful I was remembering just now that when I was a child I used to hate walking um, when the family said we're going for a walk it didn't appeal to me but um, in lockdown, it became so important because I was always a very busy person and I couldn't be busy in lockdown, but I could go out for a walk. And the thing that I have really grown to love is trees. I've always liked trees, but I've become so aware of them, the shapes and the uh, being able to identify them um, and being absolutely amazed at the amount of mistletoe that there is growing in the, well, I, I should imagine all over the country, but uh, where I've walked. So that is my love.
I'm a drama therapist. I love I love anything magical and imaginative, you know. Um, so, and I do think that certain spiritual aspects create a sense of magic. And one of my um, my my journeys has been to bring spirituality into the body. And I discovered five rhythms, which is a dancer um, practice, and it takes you through the five rhythms: um, flow staccato, chaos, lyrical, and stillness. And each rhythm is connected chronologically to a particular life stage of a human. Um, and sadly, most human beings don't, um, don't move on to true adulthood, even though chronologically they become adults, um, which is lightness, actually, connection with others, but taking life lightly, it becomes a play. And then obviously stillness, and you can move, you know, stillness doesn't mean being still. It means having a point of the, the part of you that um, is unchanging and moving from that place. And I think that you see all of these rhythms in nature. You know, the raging sea is chaos. Um, the gentle breeze of the trees as lyrical, you know. My working life, I was a dentist for 40, 45 years, which means I was stuck in one small room working in an area that big for my, and I had to get out into the open air. It, un, it was unhealthy. My wife is a doctor, also an unhealthy life. And from the time our children were very young, we started going out for walks. There was an AA book, Three Mile Walks for Young People. We started doing that. Every year of our lives, I suppose until seven, eight years ago, we've been on at least one or two major walks somewhere in England, Scotland, Wales. We've walked, I've walked in, I've walked everywhere, Australia, Africa. It, it's wonderful. And there's wonderful things you can find. And if you're given good guides, you get away from people and you can see. I, 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 I've, I spent my life looking back now because there's not quite so much in the future anymore. So now I'm walking in my local area. I've had heart trouble, so I've got to walk to keep fit. We've got birds coming into our garden. We would deliberately feed them. I'm learning about birds. I mean, in, in the local area, in the last two days, I've seen grey heron, we've seen cormorants, we've seen grebe. Of course, we've seen all the ducks and all the other things as well. It's amazing what you can see in your local area. And that to me is wonderful. Well, as a community, I think, especially within these last eight to nine months, I think I've seen the community spirits soar. People are helping each other. They're really going out there. We've got, uh, I mean, I was approached just last week by someone saying, you know, your frontliners, we've got food uh, uh, packets, meals that we'd like to drop off to your care home uh, for your um, NHS and frontliners. And I was so touched by that, you know, I was like, whoa, okay, that is amazing, yes. So I think the community spirits of sort of really everybody's gelled, they're chipping and they're helping each other. And I, I think that's what's going to get us through it you know, through this crisis. And there is always a light at the end of the tunnel, come what may. And as a community, we will get through this. I think we just need to have kindness, care, 
and compassion towards each other and you know we can move mountains I think. I mentioned in my in the group uh, interview that I led a life that was so boom 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 hectic. I used to work at the airport, I used to drive to Gatwick, come back. My lifestyle was crazy, super crazy. And I've taken a backstand. I changed jobs. I started working in a care home for the last year or so. Um and my life has just turned around. I've appreciated all this greenery. I've actually hugged a tree as well. Can you believe that? I've hugged a tree and found benefits of hugging a tree. <laughs> it's not my garden. It belongs to the community created it. It was a piece of good news at a bleak time made by the people who wanted it to succeed and only made possible through their generosity their imagination and their ownership without them this piece of land would have slowly regressed back into weed and bramble and so i hope you'll come and visit getting walk at some time in spring the willow trees will burst into life the stream surges along after rain to maybe me how quickly the water rises birds will be busy finding mates and building nests the friends group are making plans as well clean up the stream saturday prune the orchard as soon as lockdown lifts and we can meet again safely and ideas to enrich fountain in the park but this will always be a wild park and it needs a light touch for me it was a delight to share this project with everyone who contributed encouraged and just came to stand and look it reminds me that this is a generous neighborhood that it's always growth and renewal and that walking and working outside in nature is good for the body the mind and the soul we can't all be a daily agora but we can we take care of our own patch of green space thank you so much for listening to harrow in voices a celebration of green spaces from Stanmore Common to Harrow on the Hill. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England, with thanks to our contributors. Anne Gerard, Dimpy Hirani, Jeff Bard, Marilyn Raymond, Mary Wayne, Neelam Rayat, Rajashri Sheth, and Tony Kay. Harrow in Voices has been produced by Pack Pack Theatre with music composition by Alice Hope Wilson. You can find more information about us on our website, www.packpacktheatre.co.uk.